It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The Michael Reed Show Podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie. Friday morning, uh, the 1st of July. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reid on LMFM. The campaign to save Navin Hospital is on uh, war footing with an almighty battle ahead if it is to stop the HSE closing Our Lady's Emergency Department. It is long past the time that the Minister introduces or reasserts, whichever word is, is best here, his authority on the HSC. Somebody needs to take the HSC by the scope of the A round of applause uh, from uh, several hundred people attending a meeting of uh, the Save Navin Hospital campaign for the chairperson of uh, that group, Patrick Tobin. Let's begin, though, this morning with uh, Minister of State, Damien English, who's a Fine Gael TD for Me the West. Uh, a very good morning to you, Minister, and thank you indeed for joining us on uh, the programme uh, this morning. I believe you were at the meeting last night. I- I- I'm sure you were getting it in the air, were you? Uh, good morning, Michael, and thanks for having me on. Um, I was at the meeting last night. Uh, I've tried to attend those meetings over the years when I can. A uh, good crowd at the meeting last night. There's probably over 200 hours. It was a very good discussion uh, about what's happening in the hospital. Um, there wasn't a lot of medical people there, I think, which, 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 which was a pity, because I think we should, it would be useful to have a good medical discussion as well, like what you have over the airwaves here, and a good Q&A would be very useful. But I did get a chance to explain last night that the Minister, uh, in this case, Minister Donnelly, the Health Minister, has very clearly stepped in on a number of occasions here, uh, and most recently in the Dáil, I've said it twice in a row, that he has instructed the HSE not to proceed. Uh, he did that last October, Michael. We had that conversation online with yourself again a few weeks ago in the Dáil and to the board of the HSE. He's very clear on this, that he does not uh, want this to continue uh, and proceed as it is. Uh, he has ordered a review uh, of all the issues we have been raising for recently and for years in relation to capacity mm. in hospitals elsewhere. And also, uh, I very I repeatedly have asked him, as of the group last night, uh, that they outline what it would take uh, to, to make Navin the A&E that the likes of Jerry McIntyre manuals believe it should be, uh, to be able to give us all the services we want. Did I people accept that from you, or were you getting it in the ear? Uh, no, I, I think in fairness, most people on the subject are saying, I think people generally have followed, followed mm. this debate and they do know that the government have said that no to these proposals. 
Um, I've explained that the HSE... At the moment, though, because the Minister wants to close the Emergency Department because the Minister accepts that the Emergency Department is unsafe. He he believes that doing it uh, would be transferring the risk, and that uh, is the position that was highlighted to him in that letter by the 14 uh, doctor or the 17 doctors working in Drogheda. They say the transfer of the risk from an unsafe ED in Our Lady's Hospital in Navan to an under-resourced Our Lady of Lourdes Hospital in Drogheda will lead to to poorer clinical outcomes for patients. Yeah, so Michael, just explain as I did last night, I, I explained to everybody what's happened for the last 10 years uh, on, uh, over the course three ministers, and Stephen Donnie now is the fourth minister. The HSE have put forward similar proposals or suggestions. The previous three ministers and this minister at all times have said no, that the capacity wasn't in the system to make these changes. Stephen Donnelly very clearly said uh, last October that he was not sanctioning uh, this reconfiguration. Yeah. He said it again recently, and his reasons are he wants an assessment of, of, of Narvin and the other A&Es in the capacity. Mm. Now, the doctor's letter last night, we discussed that a lot last night from, from, from Drogheda, that's a major uh, in, intervention by those doctors. They are the same consultants and doctors that we have been talking to um, for, for a number of years around concerns, about capacity. Uh, at our request, they met Stephen Donnelly a few weeks ago. Stephen Donnelly heard their concerns very clearly. Uh, absolutely. Said, On the 9th of June, it says in the letter. Yes, and he yeah. then said uh, it would be important for him to have what they said at that meeting uh, clarified in a letter. But they have now followed up with that letter and clarified their mm. concerns. And they're talking about from a Lourdes hospital point of view that they don't believe they have the capacity as in the doctors and the staff yes. and the beds mm. to deal with. And I have that letter in front of me and, we're, and, I'll, and I'll read portions of it to our, our listeners uh, throughout uh, the programme uh, this morning and they make it very clear that uh, they believe uh, that Strada is the fifth busiest emergency department in the country and that it would be unsafe to be making it busier. Uh, but the Minister for Health, Stephen Donnelly, wants to close the emergency department as soon as it is safe to send people elsewhere. Uh, if that happens, uh, do you agree you, you're destined to lose your seat uh, because you only scraped in last time? Thanks, Michael. Uh, I've been very clear at all times uh, over the last, probably at this stage, uh, 10 or 15 years, that for me, uh, it's not about my seat, it's about my vote, it's about what's the best health service for people I represent in Navan County Mead. I said last But night, you'd be gone, wouldn't you? I mean, if the emergency department closes, that would be the end of a Fine Gael seat in Mead West. Mike, Mike, just to be clear, whether I come or go is not the issue here. This is about what's right for the people of Mead and Navan and the hospital. No, there's nothing there. right about it, is there? There's well, no, I mean, there, there's nothing right about it. We, we, we've senior clinicians in the HSE telling us that there could be an unnecessary death or unnecessary deaths and most certainly poor and poorer outcomes for patients if they receive treatment in the emergency department in Navan on one hand. And on the other hand, we're told if you send them to Drogheda uh, that it's not going to be safe either. Yeah, yeah so Michael, so can I just have a second? This is what you and I have discussed many times over the last couple of years. Are you only transferring the risk? And then are you adding to that risk by, by people having to wait for that service and draw it? And that's the nub of the pint we've been saying for years. And but that's a ministers, shambles, isn't it? But, no, Michael, just hold on a sec, please. Other ministers have not allowed any change because of that. And Stephen Donnelly now, and I said this last night, Stephen Donnelly now has in front of him medical mm. opinion that differs um, from very, very high up medical opinion and, and clinicians and consultants on both sides of this argument. Mm. He has to now, as a minister... And make a decision to, to sanction or not the HSE proposals. He has very clearly said when he met 
the physicians and the doctors and clinicians from the Lewis Hospital a few weeks ago, he too was concerned okay. what they had to say. It's now in front of him. And, and the issue is, and, and on front of that, he did say in the dog that he wanted a review and analysis of all this medical opinion because he but, has to make sure. Sorry, my let me say one last point. He has to make sure, like me, yeah. uh, that we're getting the well, right health service. All right, well, we're, we're not. He, he's made sure, and previous ministers before him have made sure that the health service for your constituents is a shambles. Uh, he, he stopped people going from, to Drogheda because it's not safe uh, so they'll go continue to go to Navin where it's not safe and they might end up dying unnecessarily I mean how can anybody make sense of that uh, it, it, the best thing to do is not get sick I take it but what happens if you do OK Michael so what, what we're trying to do here and, and I've always said that, we, that if there's any concerns with the A&E in Navin to be able to look after all the patients that go there the, 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 the lead clinicians have said they have a concern around a percentage of the patients that go there. I have repeatedly said at meetings, if there's a concern, tell us exactly what it is and exactly how to solve that. And mm. I understand and I believe the, there's two options there. One is to put the extra resources in terms of people and skills and consultants you need, along with all the services with that, into Navin to make it safe. Um, and if, if and whatever that is into Navan or into Drogheda but nothing has happened I mean this hasn't happened overnight as we've been hearing for uh, the last number of months because the HSE has brought it pushed it to the brink uh, but we've been talking about this since 2006 in actual fact we, we, we have Mike and in fact to be honest with you probably since 2001 uh, because there's been a long term uh, discussion around how do you best provide a health service for a growing population the size of me mm. We all agree, and you discussed this last week, and I agree too, absolutely the future would be to have one class, top class major hospital that serves the whole region. And that was predicted back in, in times when this country had a lot of money. And then for whatever reason that, that didn't happen, it might still but happen it, well down the line. Isn't it true to say that the Minister for Health, like his predecessors, is not fit for the job, given this dire situation that we're in and... As I said, like his predecessors, he, he's left your constituents in this position where if they go to the emergency department in Navan, it's not safe. They face a poor income uh, outcome or a poorer outcome or the possibility of something going terribly wrong, which could lead to their premature death. And the solution uh, that has been proposed by the HSE is not safe either. And here we are since I had said 2006, you're saying 2001, so here we are now, uh, 21 years later, and nothing has happened. Yeah, so when I refer to 2001, I'm on about the, the, the ongoing of where the services are. Orthopaedic services were removed, emergency services were removed in Avon back in the 90s before I was even involved in politics. And then there other changes. What I can say is during my term in government, which is the last 10 years, uh, I've worked with the ministers to keep the services in Avon Hospital. There is a proposal here now from one uh, from the HSE because they believe they 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 believe they can address concerns by removing services. I have questioned that, and I said, let us analyse how you can address this in Navan. And there's different medical but opinion. Are, and I did say last, are you trying to keep on safe services? No, no, Michael. I, I so, was so, always, uh, Michael, please now. I have repeatedly said. Every single time I speak in health service, this is about what's the best medical and health outcome and service for people I represent. That's what I want. Mm. And whatever that takes to have that, that's what I want. 
and that's what I've been campaigning for. Other than this shambles, other than this shambles that we've been living with, certainly since 2013, whatever about 2001, 2006, 2008, uh, when the report uh, on the regional hospital was made for all of the reasons that it should be in Navan, which is because of the population and the population of the catchment area. Uh, But certainly since 2013, when Navan was uh, designated one of uh, the 13 smaller hospitals in the country. Right, well, can I just be clear? I think it's not right to say Navin Hospital is a shambles. There's thousands of people uh, alive in our county. Uh, the situation the is a shambles. There's no arguing with it, Minister. You're not safe if you go to Navin. If they change it and send you to Drogheda, you won't be safe. That's a shambles. Uh, and one that hasn't been dealt with for a decade, let's say, at a minimum. And one, and one that, that has to be dealt with. And, and, and again, Mikey, there are people that go to Navin Hospital today, thousands and thousands of people. They get a top-class service. I have said Navin Hospital is a top-class uh, health asset for the region, for the county, for the town and beyond. Mm. And that's what we want mm. to protect okay. and enhance. Okay. So what, what's on the table is is a suggestion to, to, to rearrange that. I'm, I'm not happy with that. Yeah. Well, let's hope that nobody point. dies unnecessarily in Navin or in Drogheda. Uh, that somebody sorts it out before that happens uh, because there's been some close calls by all accounts. Minister, uh, while you're with us, and I, I know you're very tight on time, you did want to mention some other issues with us. Uh, maternity leave is to be made available for councillors and uh, there's some major reforms of uh, some of uh, the employment schemes. Yeah, so two quick things. I think that what's important this week is Cabinet have agreed uh, to, to, to make it easier and more attractive uh, for female participation in politics uh, and local government. And that's a bonus for everybody. We do know that if we have a proper gender balance at all decision-making tables, including politics, we get better outcomes. There's research behind that as well. There are There's a deficit of, of women involved in politics. The last election, only about 24% of councillor seats that were filled uh, are, are females. And we want to increase that and improve that. And there's many ways to do that. But one is, we believe, to, to make it easier uh, for, for, for councils to take maternity leave and to get support around the time uh, that, that, that they're, they're having babies and raising a family. And that's what the changes that were agreed by Cabinet this week uh, to allow extra support and admin uh, for, for the councillor to officially take maternity leave, but also to allow a substitute councillor to step in for six months or, or, or a longer period of time to be able to do the work uh, of the councillor who's on maternity leave. Because a councillor's job, like a TD's job, or a politician's job, is very much uh, full-time. It's, there's no set hours and, and it gets, with work, it's not easy to walk away from, from maternity leave. So having a replacement councillor would be really, really useful uh, to make it more attractive to have people coming into politics as well. That's number one and it's important. And Minister Peter Burke uh, has driven that reform over the last couple of years to Cabinet as well, in conjunction with many others from all parties as well. The, I think what's the other key thing, I think is a big issue for, for many people, and certainly me and loud, are the 27,000 people who are on the CE schemes, the two schemes and, uh, and the RSS schemes which are really, really important because they provide a, a local community service through the Rural Social Scheme and for the CE Scheme. They, they, they do two things. They help people who are out of work uh, to be activated and find their way back into work and keep them close to work and keep them active. But more importantly, from a community point of view, in many cases, they provide a top-class community service, uh, be it a lot of our charities or organisations or sporting clubs our community associations all benefit from the great work by the participants on these schemes. So Heather Humphreys has announced changes that will protect those schemes and protect those who are on the schemes and those who are trying to run them. Because there is a difficulty of high, un- of high employment at the moment. It can be difficult to fill all these places um, when people have to are, are forced to remove them because of timeline. So she's made positive changes to that 
I think that's a welcome change, to be honest with you. Mm, okay, Minister. Uh, important and welcome news uh, on both fronts. Uh, and thank you indeed uh, for joining us on uh, the programme uh, this morning. That's uh, the Minister of State for Business, Employment and Retail, Finnegale TD for Mead West, Damien English. And we will hear more uh, about uh, the closing of the emergency department in Navan later in the programme. And indeed, we'll hear more from that meeting from the group campaigning to stop the closure of the emergency department in Our Lady's Hospital. Michael, Michael Reed, Reed on, on LMFM. Now, uh, the Taoiseach was in Madrid on uh, Wednesday to meet uh, with uh, the country's leaders who make up uh, the military alliance that is NATO. Uh, this is a, a question that was asked about that in the Dáil on Wednesday. Right now, Michal Martin is on the way or there in, uh, in Madrid at a NATO conference to attend a dinner. What on earth is the Taoiseach of a supposedly neutral country uh, doing attending a NATO conference? The truth is that the Irish establishment is looking to use this conflict to sidle Ireland up even closer and closer to NATO and to undermine what is left of uh, neutrality. All right, let's uh, speak uh, to Jim Roach, the PRO with the Irish Anti-War Movement. Good morning to you, Jim, and thank you indeed uh, for joining us on uh, the programme uh, this morning. Would you agree with what you heard people before Prophet TD, Paul Murphy, say there? Good morning, Michael, and to your listeners. Uh, I would indeed. Uh, I was very surprised to hear that uh, Taoiseach Michael Martin was attending that dinner with NATO leaders. Uh, I mean, it's absolutely correct that he should attend the dinner with EU leaders, but uh, we, we're not a member of NATO. We are a neutral country. So what on earth was he doing uh, uh, attending a dinner with NATO leaders? And his statements on the issue were very uh, unconvincing as well. So I, I think what, what Paul Murphy has said in the doll is correct. I mean, we are... He, uh, and it, go, it, it comes, of course, after his statement some weeks back, which um, you, you, you talked to us about, uh, where he said that Ireland could join NATO without a referendum. Uh, it, it, it's clear that the establishment here in Ireland, the, the Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael parties, would, li- you know, w- would like to erode Ireland's neutrality even more than it has been eroded since yeah. uh, they allowed the... Shannon to be used by uh, the US military from 2001 onwards. So, Indeed, he um, went further than that, really, didn't he? I mean, he, he said we need to reflect on this, uh, that we're not politically neutral and we don't need a referendum to join NATO. It's a policy decision of government. He went on to say that maybe it's something that could really be decided by a citizens' assembly. Yeah, well, I, I, I'm not sure he said it could be decided by it, but he has called for a citizens' assembly. Look, let's be clear, we welcome a debate on this because mm. we, we want a debate on it because we want uh, to, our, uh, to put neutrality into the Irish Constitution. So, um, and uh, the uh, Ireland's neutrality is, is defined, if you like, by the, the, the Hague Convention, which states clearly what a neutral country can and, and can't do. And... Uh, the government since 2001, uh, since, you know, after 9-11, has been um, uh, by eroding that, if you like, biting, mm. biting away at it. Um, but um, we see Ireland's tradition of neutrality as a positive thing. I mean, this war in Ukraine is just horrific, and it is being escalated, in our view, by what NATO is doing. Russia was wrong to do this. We have totally uh, condemned uh, the uh, invasion of Russia by Russia. 
But uh, what, what NATO is doing is just escalating it. And that's why, um, you know, cavorting with the NATO leaders is not a good sign for the leader of a neutral country. Yeah. We, should be, we should be calling for uh, diplomacy and peace talks and an immediate ceasefire to okay. stop this horrific war that is happening. Yeah, all right, the Taoiseach would argue that he was meeting with uh, like-minded people, if you like. And no, I mean, it wouldn't be a citizens' assembly that would decide on this. A government would decide on it. But I think the impression that I got from Ehal Martin was that the government would decide to join NATO after a citizens' assembly recommended that that would be the right way to do after an informed, evidence-based approach. He was saying that he wanted to... Uh, meet with democracies who are involved with shared values of freedom of speech uh, and he says uh, that we're going through a watershed moment at the uh, watershed moment in terms of having huge impacts from energy to food to the migration crisis and Ireland should be there as part of that conversation with like-minded democracies and it's important that international gatherings like the one in Madrid uh, on Wednesday that Ireland was part of that conversation which was uh, about a military response to what's happening in the Ukraine let's face it. Well, it was. And I mean, look, what he says on face value sounds okay. Everyone is concerned about uh, the horrific um, killing that's going on, the the impact on on energy costs and the food, like the food crisis that's impending is shocking. And it's going like people are going to starve in in some of the poorer countries of the world because of this war. So that's another reason why uh, it needs to be stopped. But... um, uh, you, you you have to question the so-called democratic values of some of these countries. I mean, look at the look at the legacy of the um, the NATO countries in 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 other parts of the world. You know, and I've mentioned it before Afghanistan, Iraq, and I've been on talking about it, uh, Libya, etc. Uh, I mean, the Taoiseach should ask them what they think about NATO as a, as a force for peace in the world. NATO is not a force for peace. NATO is a military alliance, and Ireland is a neutral country, and Ireland should not be cavorting with the leaders of, of the Irish um, prime minister, should should not be cavorting with the uh, leaders of NATO, unless he's telling them to, uh, asking them to uh, uh, have diplomatic talks, get a ceasefire, and, and you know, start a peace process, because otherwise he's just... Um, Eroding Ireland's neutrality further, and uh, cower—it's almost like he's cowering, cowering uh, under the under the military might of NATO. I mean, Ireland, Ireland isn't neutral. I, I mean, that would seem to be the Taoiseach's view. Uh, that we have a, a neutral position, but we're not neutral, that we can join a, a military alliance uh, if the government of the day decides to do that, that we can decide to send Irish boys. Uh, and have their boots on the ground alongside uh, the NATO members in armed conflict if the government of the day decides to do that. Uh, he did say that it is different with a European army, uh, which we know uh, goes back to the Lisbon Treaty, and that would require a, a referendum because that was built in a, as a guarantee when people voted in favour of Lisbon. Uh, but this wouldn't have anything to do with any European treaty. This would be a, a decision for a sovereign state, Ireland, to join a military alliance. Uh, that seems to be his position. Now, there are some who would argue with that. Have you got any thoughts on it? <laughs> I would argue with it, Michael. I think he should respect the, uh, the, the the voice and the opinions of the Irish people. I mean, it's very clear. Opinion poll after opinion poll shows huge majority in favour of Ireland maintaining its neutrality. I think the last 
the last opinion poll in April was 67%. Mm. So uh, if he wants to go down that route, uh, he, he's going to have a lot of opposition to it. And I'd make further points. I mean, Ireland has what, what you might call soft power because of its neutral position. And we can use that in a positive way. It was used in the 1950s and 1960s when Frank Aiken was uh, Minister for Foreign Affairs. He became this champion of nuclear non-proliferation, leading ultimately to the signing. I mean, Ireland was the first country to, to, to sign the uh, nuclear non-proliferation treaty in the early 1960s and ultimately other countries. So Ireland can play a positive uh, role here. It's not about sitting on the fence. Finland, likewise, and I'm sorry, uh, I'm sorry to hear Finland has now decided to join NATO. In the 1980s, Finland played a hugely positive role in terms of, you know, in, in terms of uh, like dampening down the, the the Cold War, bringing the the uh, America and Russia, uh, sorry, the, the then Soviet Union together many times in Helsinki to sign various uh, accords. So that is the role of a neutral country, and Ireland could be playing a much more positive role. It could be bringing resolutions to the UNSC. It should be using its seat on the United Nations Security Council to bring resolutions calling for peaceful dialogue uh, as a way mm. to resolve the conflict yeah, but, uh, I mean, you're and talk- in other parts of the world. Okay, but you talk about Finland uh, and at the moment they're probably thinking to themselves one for all and all for one because if uh, they join NATO before Russia attacks, if Russia was to attack, well then that would be an attack on all of the NATO countries. Well, it would, and there's no indication that Russia has any uh, um, notion of, of attacking Finland. They have a long history, and a turbulent history, but they have been in very peaceful uh, um, terms since the end of the Second World War, and um, they have uh, had, a, had very good relations. And as I said, Finland played that hugely important role. Um, but, but by the way, I have read an article uh, on the... Uh, on uh, various polls that have been done on, uh, you, you know, how, like what percentage of Finnish people want neutrality, and it is striking that a lot of a lot of younger votes, uh, younger um, people who responded to the poll, wanted to remain neutral. So uh, you know, it, it's very. Well, it's always young men who go to war, isn't it? Well, 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 mm. exactly. Yeah. Mm. So, like, it's not. I mean, as I said, I'm, I'm disappointed that it's not cowardice. The government has taken a. Are, 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 are young Finnish men cowards? You know, do they, do they want somebody else to do? Do they want somebody else to do their fighting for them? You do ask really provocative questions. Ah, yeah, but no, sure, that's no, what it's, that's that's what that's what's at the root of it all. No, no, but people are not. There's a lot of young people who see, perhaps, who see what's going on here, and see that you know, ultimately, while. Um, uh, in the case of Ukraine, mm. the invasion of Ukraine by Russia is is the invasion of a smaller country by a mm. larger military nuclear power. But it has also now become uh, and it has become this proxy war between two imperial. Well, let's powers. put it another way: if the Ukrainian boys hold off uh, the Russians, uh, there won't be any prospect of a Finnish invasion. Uh, if they didn't, well, that might be different. Uh, so, should the Finnish boys not be out be, uh, out fighting with the Ukrainians? Look, I, I think we we uh, it is very it's very uh, the the um, Ukrainian people have defended their country, you know, very bravely, and they have a right to do that, and we've always supported their right to do that. However, as I was saying to you, there there is another aspect to this war, and it's not a, just about a small country defending uh, itself against a larger 
oppressive regime. This it has become this uh, inter, what we call this inter-imperial war, if you like, between two powers. And that's where a neutral country comes into. Uh, it, it's all by pointing that out, by calling that out, uh, and by uh, calling for peaceful negotiations as a way to resolve it. Mm. Incidentally, the Irish Times uh, was writing a, a about this uh, when uh, the Taoiseach was in Madrid and it spoke uh, to a couple of uh, constitutional experts, uh, David Kenny of Trinity College and Laura Cahillan uh, in the University of Limerick. And both of them say it's not clear-cut as to whether you would need a referendum or not. In fact, I think uh, it's probably true to say that both would think that you uh, would need a a referendum. Uh, Both of them talk uh, about Supreme Court cases, including the Crotty Judgment back in 1987 and European Acts uh, and treaties such as the Lisbon Treaty uh, and uh, the commitment that there is to neutrality under those treaties. Uh, so uh, the Taoiseach's view that you wouldn't need a referendum could yet be tested. Look, it could, and I'm not a legal expert, Michael. Uh, all I am, I am a, I'm a, anti-war, I'm a peace activist, and that's what the Irish movement, Irish anti-war movement stands for. But I think at the same time, let's respect the polls. Let's look at the polls uh, that are saying the majority of a clear majority of Irish people want to maintain Ireland's neutrality and see it as a, a you know, um, a positive force. And let's remember, as I mentioned previously about Ireland's soft, we have an excellent international reputa- reputation. Mm. Uh, but our people, but it's, uh, our armed forces as well, in participating in UN peacekeeping missions. Uh, as I said, are already our role in promoting the nuclear non-proliferation treaties. Mm. And that's linked to our neutrality and this opposition to really uh, imperial wars. So this gives us this soft power and we should be using this to oppose military uh, aggression from whatever quarter. And to act, and regardless of regardless of whatever pressure, because uh, there could be pressure that, that we're not uh, aware of. Uh, oh, absolutely! Uh, I mean, you oh, could have absolutely. the likes of Joe Biden saying to me, "Hall Martin, your position is incredible because I want to grow NATO," uh, and you know, you're looking to me uh, over Brexit and the Northern Ireland Protocol. I'm telling the British I won't do a, a trade deal with them. Uh, there's a quid pro quo here, uh, and we'd like you to join with us, and we'll continue to support you. That, I think you may have a very good point there. That is very likely going on. And uh, what we're saying is that the Irish government should stand up to these, this, this pressure, if, if it is there, um, to, you know, and, and, and point out that we, we are a neutral country, we're respected around the world, uh, and we feel that um, we want to stop these wars, and there is a way to stop them. And there is a way to resolve political conflicts without involving military aggression. Okay. So, there we leave it, Jim. Thank you indeed. Thank you very much. Thank again. you very much indeed. I'm sure we'll be back talking about this. It seems uh, as though it's very much on the agenda anyway and will be for some time to come, uh, given the re- recent statements of Irish leaders. Uh, that's uh, Jim Roach, PRO with the Irish Anti War Movement. Michael Reed on LMFM. Uh, let me bring you some of uh, the comments coming to us uh, this morning. Sean is in Avenan. He says there definitely seems to be a difference of, of opinion between medics now when it comes to whether the emergency department in Navan is safe or not. So which medical opinion should the decision be based on? The whole thing is an absolute mess. Um, 
I'm not sure that there's a difference of opinion about Navin, Sean, as I understand it, and I mean this honestly. I think everybody uh, who's practising medicine locally and nationally uh, who has an opinion on this is saying Navin is not safe. Uh, But there's definitely uh, 17 doctors in the Lourdes Hospital in Drogheda who are saying, don't send them here, it it, it wouldn't be safe. Um, So don't close the emergency or do something else, but don't send them here. Um, I think that seems to be the position uh, at the moment. Uh, a number of people in touch with us about the hospital in Navan this morning, and thanks if you have been in touch with us. Uh, Paddy Duffy saying, uh, it was your programme yesterday which brought out of the word work the 17 consultants. Uh, this government has far outstayed their welcome. Bring on an election and let the people decide, uh, says Paddy. Thanks, Paddy. I'm not sure that that is the case. I know that we were asking Darren O'Rourke yesterday uh, if these doctors in Drogheda would go on the record. And we were asking Helen McEntee, the minister uh, in uh, the region the day before, if uh, the doctors in Drogheda would go on the record, that it was no use to anybody really uh, trying to understand it if uh, they were behind doors making these statements. Uh, They did write to the minister on the 22nd of June and that letter uh, was made public yesterday. Uh, And I can't honestly say as to why that was, uh, but I think everybody is happy to see that they have now put their names on the record. Uh, Let's talk about uh, something uh, very important locally, uh, something completely different now, uh, and something that is very important to to the families of 23 people who died in the Dalgan House nursing home in Dundalk. During the first COVID wave in 2020, 23 elderly residents died in Dalgan House in Dundalk. Conditions there were appalling, they were inhuman, they were catastrophic, they were destitute of any compassion. The RCSI hospital group went in and took over the operation control of that house. Since then, the families are looking for the truth, they're looking for accountability, and they're looking for closure. They believe only an inquiry will give them that truth, that closure, that accountability. They've met with the Minister for Health, they've met with senior executives, including Mr Reid and the HSE. They've had no contact, to tell me, since November with the Minister for Health to further the, the, uh, this issue. We need this government, which I do support, and I do support it. It must vindicate the human rights of the residents concerned. They cannot be ignored. If, Minister, you can give $135 million to meet the financial needs of 445 you, houses in this country, nursing homes, yeah, you. can you not find it in your heart to meet them and to have that inquiry yeah, to give them the truth? That's Fergus O'Dowd, Fine Gael TD, for Louth, raising the issue of Dalgan House in the Dáil again yesterday. He's been raising this issue, as many TDs have, over many months at this stage and looking for answers. Frustrated uh, most recently after being told that a group had been established to look at Dalgan House and had almost completed its work. Uh, the Minister for Health, Stephen Donnelly, responded to Fergus O'Dowd. Can I acknowledge your ongoing representation uh, on the issue? And as you said, I, I have met the families involved um, and I've stated publicly at committee, and I'm very happy to restate, that the families in Delgan House and indeed other nursing homes where their loved ones passed away, in some cases, including in Delgan uh, uh, House, they do have very legitimate questions and they must be given answers to those questions. What we're trying to find is a process whereby we can, we can give them the answers they want but without having to create a mechanism like a statutory uh, tribunal or, or, or inquiry which 
which in which case in in many cases the only people who actually come out of that on top uh, are the legal representatives so we're we're working to try and find a mechanism whereby the families can get the answers that they need in a in a way that doesn't leave them bogged down in legal process for many years i'm very happy to um revert to the department and, and seek an update for the deputy yes. the minister for health uh, stephen donnelly responding to finnegales fergus o'dowd in the doll yesterday Michael Reed on LMFM. Uh, thanks to Linda, who's in Navin, and I think I can guess why Linda has contacted us. Thanks for your WhatsApp message, Linda. She says, We attended Navin's A&E on Tuesday night with a very ill patient. Anything like the treatment we got uh, was second to none. They couldn't have done enough. The patient was terminally ill, but we got precious time with her. If Navin A&D wasn't there, we wouldn't have had that time. It was precious. Uh, thank you, Navin Hospital, for giving us that time, says Linda. A very important and special message, and one I'm sure will be appreciated by many people in the hospital this morning, Linda. Thank you uh, indeed, and condolences to you, I think, as well. Uh, somebody else in touch with us uh, saying people have and are already dying unnecessarily due to staffing shortages, bed shortages, and a lack of consultants. Thank you indeed uh, for taking the time to WhatsApp us as well. Deirdre and Kel says, Mike, they need to pump money in to Our Lady's Hospital to keep it open. Drogheda can't cope. The people of County Meath need Navin's A&D in Navin, in County Meath, says Deirdre. Uh, Another WhatsApp message from somebody who says, Michael, we're listening to this statement about Navin being unsafe Exactly what is unsafe about it? I've not heard one specific thing that makes it apparently unsafe. It would appear that certain people have an agenda to close the accident and emergency emergency as soon as possible. Thank you indeed uh, for your text. Uh, I think it's uh, the expertise and the support services and uh, the lack of training in the hospital and there's a number of issues, uh, but uh, it's also the small numbers of people who are receiving emergency department services in the hospital. Catherine, uh, on the phone to us this morning, Catherine is from Midlouth, and Catherine says that she's had reason to use Our Lady of Lourdes Hospital in Drogheda over the years, and she cannot see how the hospital can cater for more patients coming from County Meath. The waiting time in Drogheda is already huge, so they're going to expand it and hire more staff. Surely there's a plan, as the key thing is that all of this is down to making sure that patients are safe. It's about the safety of patients, she says, and that should be the key priority. Well, thank you indeed uh, for taking the time to call us uh, and indeed to share your thoughts with us, if you have been in touch with us so far today. We've had incredible news today uh, from uh, Drogheda Hospital that 17 ED and other consultants within the hospital have signed a letter a deeply damning letter uh, of the HSE, which basically says that the HSE is wrong. Uh, And what they're saying is that the HSE are looking to shift risk from one hospital to another. Uh, They're not looking to fix that risk. They're saying that actually, that if patients are moved from Navin Hospital to Drogheda Hospital, uh, it will be the wrong place for these patients to be treated. And that there will actually be a threat to their mortality and morbidity uh, if they're moved uh, in this manner to draw the hospital. Right, that's the chair of uh, the Save Navin Hospital campaign, Patrick O'Bean, 
speaking uh, to Simon Doyle for his uh, at the Save Navin Hospital meeting in Navin last night uh, and he's not far wrong he's referring to this letter from the 17 doctors on the 22nd of June that was written to the Minister for Health Stephen Donnelly was copied to the Secretary General in the department Robert Watt Uh, was copied to the CEO of the HSE Paul Reid and it was copied to the Chief Clinical Officer for the HSE Dr Colin Henry it was made public yesterday and the 17 doctors are now on the public record making it known that they do not feel that it will be safe to take patients from Navin into Drogheda. The 17 doctors by the way are Dr Tomasa Hearn, Dr Aftab Kaktab, Dr Ricardo Bagina, Dr Justin Lowe, Dr Mian Bassett, Dr Sinead Collins, Dr Ian Cunahan, Dr Cleona. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Fiery, Dr. Elaine Hayes, Dr. Tita Hassan, Dr. John Cohan, Dr. Colin Mason, Professor Martin Mulroy, Dr. Blohin Nabukla, Dr. Helen O'Brien, Dr. Mustafa Salam and Dr. Margaret Walsh, all of whom have put their name to this letter that says it would be unsafe to send patients to Drada as things stand. As you've been hearing in the bulletins on LMFM News this morning, this is a view that is shared by the chair of any doc. That's Dr Seamus McMenamin. I think the HSE's role in this has been uh, to implement the findings of uh, the Small Hospital Framework Report and that's what they've been doing and that's their function. Uh, the decision, I suppose, that report is now, uh, you know, uh, a number of years away with the, the last hospital that has been uh, reconfigured. And the population of Meath has changed. You know, uh, we've had an explosion and you just have to look around any urban area in Meath and you've got new houses springing up. So the reality is that that decision was made at a very different time. Um, and when you actually look at it, the if you accept the, the fact that a number of cuts have already made to the hospital, so the situation where the marriage department was, has been already partially downgraded and they just want to go with the final step. So if you accept the premise that the choice is the status quo 
or reconfiguration, um, then you know you would probably reach a certain conclusion. But the reality is, if the politicians decide to change the policy, if the Department of Health changes the policy and invests in Navin, we can't have an emergency department. You know, I've worked in NACE emergency department where it would be very similar uh, to Navin and had close links with Tala, and it shows that in, a, in an area with a similar population base, an emergency department can function very well. So I think um, I don't accept the premise that the only two options are the status quo or reconfiguration. I don't believe if you look at the areas where they have been reconfigured, if you ask people in Monaghan, if you go down to Limerick and look at the way the, the people in trolleys there, have their lives been made better by this? And the answer is no, because the promissory additional capacity in Drogheda and other hospitals surrounding those reconfigured hospitals never happened and didn't happen the way it, it, it does on paper. So I think the, the, the reality on the ground is that this is very unlikely to achieve the outcomes that were promised in the, the report. And I think the, the nature of the demographics has changed so much that it's very unlikely that um, patients' lives will be improved by this decision. But I agree that staying as we are won't work. We'll have to invest in the emergency department and make it back into the way it was before this process started. Finally, Seamus, we're watching people file in here for tonight's meeting. You know, there's a a groundswell of opposition against this locally, you know, the residents of Navan and Meath as a whole, they've, they've shown their anger not only in recent times but in the last couple of years when this has all come to the fore and also as well today we've seen the clinicians in Our Lady of Lords Hospital in Drogheda, they've expressed to the Health Minister that they have grave concerns about what this is going to mean for them and I suppose that's further pressure politically on him to to try and reverse this decision and, and on the HSE as well. How optimistic are you that nights like tonight, next week's rally, you know, how, how vital are they to, to turn this around? Well, I think the function of our elected representatives is to reflect the will of the people. And I think it's very clear that the people in me do not consent to the, the, the downgrade of their emergency department. So I think if the politicians are listening to that, I mean, the very minimum we need to reassess the decision. We need to look at the demographics, we need to look at the demands on the health service and I think if they look at the facts and it's not just the emotion, it's not just the anger, it's not just the volume of people who are in opposition, but if you actually look at the objective facts in the context of today, I think um, a very different decision could be reached. So I'm optimistic that if they look at the evidence, um, the need for the the emergency department that we have, that a different decision could be reached. That's uh, Dr. Seamus Mac-Menemum speaking uh, to LMFM reporter Simon Doyle at the Save Navin Hospital campaign meeting in the Newgrange last night. We've heard that 17 doctors consultant doctors in Our Lady of Lourdes Hospital in Drogheda have gone on the record and made their views known to the Minister for Health and indeed the senior officials in the HSE and the Department of Health. They wrote this letter on the 22nd of June. It follows a meeting, by the way, with the Minister on the 9th of June, which was the first meeting that they had with the Minister about this transformation, reconfiguration, downgrading of the emergency department in Navan, transferring patients who would have been seen there otherwise to Drogheda. And in their letter, they say this was the first opportunity for physicians in the Lourdes to voice their concerns over plans for Our Lady's Hospital in Navan to transition to a Model 2 hospital. Hitherto, we had not been consulted regarding 
operational planning for this transition and we valued the opportunity to engage with you. The purpose of the meeting was to present to you and your team current challenges experienced by the Department of Medicine at Our Lady of Lourdes Hospital. While we understand the policy of transitioning smaller hospitals to Model 2 status, the 17 doctors say we have significant concerns regarding patient safety should the plan to close the emergency department in Our Lady's Hospital in Navan take place without adequate resourcing being put in place in Our Lady of Lourdes Hospital in Drogheda. And they make the point that the Lourdes Hospital has the fifth busiest emergency department in the country with higher attendances than any other hospital in the RCSI Hospital Group. That's the Royal College of Surgeons in Ireland Hospital Group, which the Lourdes is a part of. And that it has the second highest admissions from emergency departments in the country. That's just behind the hospital in Limerick, University Hospital in Limerick, which I think Hikwa has said is not fit for purpose. And the 17 doctors in Drogheda also make the point that Our Lady of Our, Our Lady's Hospital in um, Navan uh, would be sending patients there to this hospital in Drogheda that has the sixth highest admissions of over 75-year-old patients in the country, 300 and, or 3,043 in uh, the last year, which is uh, an increase of 18% uh, compared uh, to 2019. Anyway, there's just some of the thoughts uh, from uh, the consultant doctors in Drogheda. We might uh, have time to share some more with you later in the programme, but they are certainly not happy. Michael Reed on LMFM. Inflation and indeed the cost of living these days is pushing some people over the edge and many are not sure how they're going to cope in the coming months. Uh, there's been a, a lot of talk about next year's budget or a mini budget, an emergency budget, which was uh, debated in uh, the Dáil on foot of a Sinn Féin motion earlier this week. There's also talk now that the budget which is usually held on the second Tuesday in October would be brought forward by a a month and that the announcements would be made in September. Uh, But this pressure that people are feeling is probably going to get worse and could continue for a very long time, it seems. The cost of living crisis is happening right here, right now. It'll happen all the way through to the budget and will continue after the budget. That's the truth of it. We're facing a global inflation crisis and it won't end because of any budget, whether it's an emergency budget before the autumn or whether it's one in autumn. This is something we're going to be grappling with uh, for months, uh, if not years ahead. Uh, And it's caused by a number of factors which uh, you're very aware of and very much internationally driven. So there's no doubt that if we bring in an emergency budget in a few weeks' time or a regular budget in the autumn, uh, the first thing is you will say that it's inadequate and within weeks or months you'll be calling for another emergency budget. So this is what we're going to see for the next year or two uh, from, from Sinn Féin, and that's fine. Uh, but government has acted already. Um, we've acted since the budget. Over the summer, other measures will take into effect, including pay increases for some people, including the public service, including the back-to-school footwear allowance, uh, including the improvements in the SUSE grant for third level. Then we'll have another package again in, in, in autumn when the budget comes. That's uh, Tanisha Leo Bradker. Let's speak uh, to Independent TD Peter Fitzpatrick, who we heard on the programme yesterday calling for a mini budget now because of uh, the stories he's hearing and many of them in his constituency office. Good morning to you, Peter, and thank you indeed for joining us on the programme this morning. 
Uh, did uh, the Tonsha surprise you yesterday saying we could be living with this for a very long time to come? Years, in fact, it seems. Well, I, I think, Michael, it's a wake-up call, and I, I honestly think that the teacher, oh, sorry, the Tonsha, doesn't seem, doesn't seem to be talking to people on the ground. And it's people coming to my consistency office. And, I, Michael, as I said to you there, I, I, sorry, in the stall on Wednesday, I had a man in my office there last Friday actually crying because he can't have support his family. Like, uh, I don't mean to say tomorrow, but like, the statistics speak for itself. I was just looking at the survey this morning, Michael, before we come on to your program, and it said that 8 out of 10 Irish people are struggling to pay their monthly household bills, like gas and electricity. But if you look at the last 12 months, electricity bills have gone up 41%, gas 57%, solid fuel 26%, heat and oil 102%, diesel 41 and petrol 25 and, and also, the, the, the thing that really gets me at the moment is the amount of people that are asking their family and friends for help to pay the bills, 39%. And now we're back in the old days now of people paying their credit cards and everything else. I think it's about time that the Tornish show woke up and realised that like, 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 5%, 5%, 5% of this country is unemployed. So that means just 2.5 million people working in this country. And if you look at the, the taxes and, 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 and the taxes and, and the VAT coming in at the moment is it's unreal. There's a surplus there at the moment, I believe, of 5.6 billion euros there at the moment is. And it, it, I'm not saying this, man, I said it. If a member of your family came and asked for help, you would give help. The people of Ireland have done a fantastic job over the last number of years of, of, of building this country up to be a great country. And we also have other countries in the world. Mm. It's, it's, it's now that the Irish people need help. And the, 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 the tone of the company are making them statement. It's now, people need help now. And, Michael, they're not using much electricity and gas and they're still struggling. Will September or October comes. All the people want is a bit of help. I do agree not everybody would need help, but a lot of people do need help. And I like and this woman come in to me there as you know. But they'll need they'll need a lot more help in October, November, January and February, won't they? I mean when the weather turns. Well I, I had a lady come into my office there during the week there and uh, she had to give up her job because she couldn't afford to pay childcare. She said to me, Peter, it's a second mortgage. They're paying a mortgage of twelve hundred euros uh, a month. And they were looking for six or seven hundred euros to look after the children. She said that, that she could not afford to go back to work there at the moment. Is. Mm. Like, and the government, it, it, well, I mean, the signals from government uh, at least is uh, that they're going to do something about childcare in the budget. But, Mike, it's now that people need help. Like, like the, 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 the kids are off school at the moment. Is, mm. and the, the people, well, the, well again, that's the point, though. The kids are off school. Childcare uh, isn't as urgent as it will be come September. But, Mike, Child care is, Michael, for the simple reason I'm saying, Michael, is a lot of parents are working, Michael. Because I, I spoke to a journalist in the dawn about a man who, 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 who is a utility bills and bills are over 3,000 euros a month. Then he pays rent on top of that there. Like, he like he come home with 54,000 euros a year before he even broke even as such. Like, like a, lot of these, a lot of these families have, have, have both parents working, and that's the only way they can survive. Now, all of a sudden, the kids are all school night at six weeks. Either, either the mother or the father or someone has to take six or seven weeks off to look after children during the holiday period. If not, they have to get someone to mind the kids and anything else. Oh, I know. And I mean, I think you made uh, the point yourself uh, in the doll the other day that parents are buying sandals uh, because uh, the toes can grow out of them. Uh, this is according to Bernardo's. Uh, parents are, are going without meat. Uh, meat is... Uh, being seen as a luxury nowadays uh, and people are really at their wits end um, but 
it's going to get worse and the government says you can't have a budget every month and if you did people would be saying it's not enough and they'd want a, another budget every time you have a budget people would be calling for another budget and they're trying to get it right in one go and they're looking at bringing it forward to September Michael listen people are bleeding at the moment people need help and I would love maybe the tallest maybe he doesn't do consistency offices but I'd love to invite the tallest and my consistency offices and sit there and look at the people coming in here Men, women, and everything else. And there's one thing I, I would say about most people is most people always put their children first. People don't actually tell their children what's going on there at the moment. Is. If, if, if a child comes in and they want to go to school, they want to buy books, they want to buy uniforms, the parents don't relate that situation to the children. The, the parents are very good at hiding things. But we talk about mental health. We, the, the situation at the moment is I think like, what happened in 2008 and 2009 is going to repeat again. And this, this country has has the finances to help people. Like, it's now that people need to have that moment. Like, like when, 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 if, if they go ahead and announce the budget in, in the 8th of October, a lot of these uh, uh, these things won't come into maybe January or February next year. As I said, the unemployment at the moment is in an all-time low. The mental revenue coming at the moment is very, very high. And it's now that the people need help. Like, like, whether you call it a rainy day fund or whatever you want to call it at the moment, it's, now is the right time. Mm. People need to do the shopping. Because, you know, Michael, we're one of the most expensive groceries you know, cost in, in Europe. Yeah, but that doesn't... That, 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 well, well, what difference does it make? But, but I mean, Sam, Michael, if you, go, if, if you go in to buy a, a, a loaf of bread or yeah. you buy a pint of milk and everything else, like, that could be going up 20 cents or 20 cents. Then you add everything up. Like, yeah, but... but the wages didn't change much. But I'm just saying is the revenue coming into the government at the moment, they have a lot of money and that money should be distributed among the people who put this country first over the last number of years who really suffered and suffered and suffered. And I think for, for Leo Franco right. to come out and make that statement, I'll show it, it's in every other country. This country is... Well, it, well country. I know it is in every other country. And I mean, a lot of it is out of the control of the government. And you talk about the most expensive groceries uh, in Europe. That makes no difference at all. I mean, you go to the where it's the cheapest and people are earning five or six euro an hour. I'm just trying to say, Michael, is... If do you, you, do, no, do you understand the point? If you go in to buy a, a loaf of bread, uh, the price of the bread doesn't matter when you compare it from one country to another. What you have to do is compare what people are earning. Well, I'm just saying that at the moment, Michael, is if you go in to buy a loaf of bread and it costs you last week a euro and you go in to treat it and it costs you 120, that's affecting everybody's pockets there at the moment is. And I'm trying to say that the amount of people in this country working at the moment is, the amount of, amount of taxes and, 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 and VAT being paid there at the moment is, the country has a, has a big surplus now at the moment. Is like, okay, but you you, you go in to buy a loaf of bread in Croatia, and let's say it cost fifty cent last month, and it's now sixty cent this month. That affects everybody there, and that's what the Tonisha means when he says it's affecting everybody. It's down to your buying power. Uh, if you're getting two hundred and eight euro on the dole here, and you're getting fifty euro on the dole in, in uh, one of these. Uh, poorer countries, poorer European countries, uh, um, or, or uh, where it's cheaper to buy stuff, uh, that that's where the difference comes in. Well, I'm saying, Michael, at the moment, is, uh, this country has a lot of a lot of spare revenue at the moment. Oh, lots and, of it. Yeah, and, and people are really, really suffering. Yeah. As I said, you, Michael, if, if a member, if a member of your family came to you and said, Michael, I'm, I'm struggling, I guarantee you, Michael, you put your hand in your pocket and you would help. The people in Ireland are suffering, and are suffering badly at the moment. Is there's a big surplus there at the moment. Is yeah. the government asked the, the people are asking the government, please, please 
help us out at the moment is mm. not asking for much. Like they, like, it, it gets yeah, gobbled yeah. up very quickly, though. I, I mean, there, there's a lot of money, but it costs a lot to put money in people's pockets. If you were to increase welfare by one euro, that would cost 75 million euro. Uh, if you were to increase welfare by 20 euro, which is what people are saying, oh, it's only 20 euro, that would cost the government one and a half billion euro. Michael, if electricity prices went up 41%, gas went up 57%, you're buying a car going up 30%, airfares are going 45%. The government are actually making a lot of money at the moment between, between the taxes and the VAT at the moment. We have 5.6 billion sitting there at the moment the people in Ireland are looking for better help. Why wait? Why wait for two, three, four, five, or six months? Now is the time. The money's there. People are just asking for better help. And 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 I I, I maintain this: the government will get a ten times fold back. They, 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 I never, I never. This is my first time being a TD in eleven years that I've asked the government to 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 take the budget uh, you know, a few weeks forward. People are bleeding. People need a bit of help. And I'm just trying to say the money is there. The reserves there at the moment is. People are paying a lot more for, for utility bills. They're paying a lot more for for, for anything mm. health. No matter mm. what they're doing, people have to put their hand in pocket and people are completely stretched. All I'm just going to say to Michal Martin and Leo Veracco, Michael McGrath, Pascal Donahue, the Irish people are looking for a bit of help. You do have the reserves there at the moment. Is. Like for, for the sake of a few weeks, come out, help the, help the Irish people. Because I know, like down the road, and like these people coming in from Ukraine at the moment and other countries at the moment, is, we are really bending backwards to help these people at the moment. Is. And all we're asking is for the Irish government to please help the people who are suffering. Not everybody's suffering, but there's an awful lot of people suffering. And I think the government owns it to these people in this country to help them out. And I, and I can't understand why they're not doing it. But in fairness to Michael McGrath, when I asked him the questions on Wednesday, uh, he was telling me that, that, that the cabinet are coming back on, on Monday. They're going to sit down. They're going to have a look at the, at, at, at the situation, and hopefully, Michael, that the, 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 all these heads put together, they realise that the Irish people need help, and the government has to help. Okay, it probably won't happen uh, today or tomorrow. It might happen in September. I don't think that will be decided by the government until Monday. I think they're going to meet on Monday to decide that. Uh, otherwise, it's scheduled for October. Will you hope, or is that what you're hoping at this stage, uh, that it'll be in September? Michael, to be honest, I think uh, talking to uh, Michael McGrath on Wednesday, and uh, in fairness, I did, I did appreciate that the government has already spent £2.4 billion on, uh, on the crisis at the moment. Uh, I, I wasn't like to criticise the government. I, I, the government are trying their best, but we haven't having so much reserve there at the moment is, and putting off the budget for two or three months, I think it's totally, utterly wrong. I think the vibe I got from the minister last Wednesday that that something is going to happen in the, in the next couple of weeks. I do hope that that does happen in the next couple of weeks. Uh, it's very important that we all keep the pressure on the government because it's very, I'm like a sister here at the moment. Is there's people here at the moment and, and they're going to be asking me questions: What's happening? Uh, are the government going to help them out and everything else? So just watch this space for the next couple of days. I do hope that the government does the right thing and help people now rather than leave it to later. Okay, we'll leave it there for the moment. Thank you indeed for joining us uh, this morning. Independent TD in Loud and East Mead, Peter Fitzpatrick. Michael Reed on LMFM. Many Irish women are still leaving uh, this country uh, to access abortion services elsewhere. I'd like to say that for anyone who needs an abortion, the HSE's My Options service will help you find your nearest provider. You can phone 
1800 828 010 or go to myoptions.ie. That's Holly Kearns of uh, the Social Democrats speaking in uh, the doll yesterday and raising concern about women who have to go overseas to terminate a pregnancy. While the right to bodily autonomy and health care, including termination, because abortion is health care, has been established by popular vote here, we know that nothing is guaranteed. There are still groups actively working to deny the will of the Irish people and threaten our hard-won rights. However, we also know that the work is not completed here to ensure that all people who need it have access to free, safe and legal abortions in Ireland. Recent UK Department of Health figures show that 367 people from the island of Ireland were forced to travel to Britain for an abortion in 2021. And if you are going to travel to Britain for an abortion, this is some advice uh, that Holly Cairns had for you when she spoke in the doll yesterday. It's important to note that the Abortion Support Network is a UK charity which provides financial assistance, accommodation and consultation to people from Ireland and other jurisdictions to access care in Britain. This weekend, uh, the Rally for Life uh, will take place in Dublin and its objective is to see women travel to Britain and elsewhere if uh, they are to terminate a pregnancy. Neve Evreen of uh, the Life Institute is on the line. A very good morning to you, Neve, and thank you indeed uh, for joining us. That's a good way to frame it, Michael, isn't it? That introduction you gave there was absolutely ridiculous. The, The purpose of the Rally for Life is not to force women to travel to England. The purpose of the Rally for Life is to overturn our abortion laws and to hold the government to account in relation to the horrific outcomes of the abortion law since 2019. So women would have to go to England or elsewhere for an abortion, which is exactly what I said, which... um, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, but you said you said that something you said that something said on the programme was ridiculous and you're right, but I didn't say it. No, and actually what Holly Carnes also said is ridiculous and there's been a lot of really kind of false and misinformation coming out about the numbers of women travelling, still travelling to England for abortion. In fact, the majority of those travelling to England for grand e-abortions are having abortions because the baby has Down syndrome. Now, I don't recall, in contrary to what Ms. Cairns just said there in the, piece that you, in the piece that you played, I don't ever recall anybody in Ireland being told that they should vote for abortion because the baby has Down syndrome. So, like, and, and I think it's a great change here that Ms. Cairns, in her impassioned speech to the doll, didn't also give the number of groups like Gianna Care who help women who have a crisis pregnancy. Like, I think it's a great change that the debate in this country seems to have now moved to a situation where the only solution we seem to think that we should offer women, whether the baby has Down syndrome or whether the woman is in crisis, is an abortion. And one of the points the Rally for Life is making very strongly this Saturday, and thousands of people will be there at the rally, is that the numbers of abortions happening now in Ireland are horrific. And we were told by Leo Varadkar and others in 2018, in the referendum, the voters were told categorically that that, uh, abortion would be rare. Instead of that, the numbers doubled in the first year to 6,666. And and Mary Butler, the Junior Minister for Health, is telling us that we're going to have, we'll be seeing 21,000 abortions in the first three years. Who is it that uh, is terminating uh, pregnancies? Well, here's 
the thing. Like when you see the Dublin women, are, 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 are Irish women who are, Irish women Irish who are choosing women. to do it. Uh, and well, you're, uh, and no, you're, uh, no, hold on, hold on, because that, that's a big claim. Okay, we know, like, from research in other countries, and it, it's actually disgraceful that in Ireland we're not keeping the kind of records which could give us a good insight into why women are having abortions. All Simon Harris instructed the department to gather was how many abortions are taking place. We're not finding out what drives women to seek abortions. And we know that in other countries women feel, they tell researchers that they have abortions because they feel they have no choice. And, you know, where are, they, where are the extra supports for women that were brought in uh, when, the abortion, when abortion was made legal here? Don't see them. I know, I know women who, who, okay. who I need to have crisis pregnancies are not seeing them either. Right. Maybe, I, I, maybe we go back to the point that it's Irish women who are, are deciding to terminate their pregnancies who you are judging. No, I'm not judging them. I'm saying that abortion is always wrong. And I'm saying well, that we that sounds like a judgment, Niamh. That sounds like a judgment. I, to be honest, Michael, your whole interview sounds like a judgment to me. Like your interview towards me, your attitude towards me and towards the rally sounds like a judgment. I can I can assure the listeners that if I was from the abortion rights campaign, you would not be talking to me like this. You would ask, be asking me instead, what is the purpose of my rally? So the purpose of the rally is to hold the government to account. This abortion against the will of the people, though. They, is not what they said it would be. Against, I mean, you're going to have a, you're going to have a, a lot of people at your rally. Uh, I think that's mm-hmm. always the case. But it really represents a, a small minority of people in this country. The vast majority of people in this country voted to repeal the eighth. Well, you know, here's the thing. To be honest, I wouldn't care if 99, 99% of people supported something if they're still wrong. Just because a majority votes for something, it doesn't make it right. And that's a truism that is held across many other social social wrongs to our time, such as slavery and other things. Abortion isn't right. It isn't good for women and it isn't good. Obviously, it ends a baby's life. And cultural change happens, Michael. Like in 1983, people voted to ban abortion. In 2018, they voted to legalise it. But cultural change can swing the other way. And we're seeing in America what's happened that the Supreme Court there has overturned the Roe v. Wade ruling. And even the decision in regard to legalise abortion back to the States. Mm. I certainly think that's something to celebrate. I think a lot of people at the rally uh, this Saturday, starting at 1.30, by the way, in Parnell Square in Dublin, um, I think that's something to celebrate. And if you look okay. at what happened... That's at half one in Parnell Square. Uh, OK, glad to, gl- glad to announce that if people want to uh, attend. But what has happened in America is not going to happen here. The people have spoken through a constitutional referendum, amended the constitution, and abortion is now legally permissible. And that will forevermore be the case. Uh, the review of course that it won't. Of course it won't forevermore be the case. Nothing stays the same forevermore. I mean, I'm 15 no, well, now. Well, 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 it, it, we know this. Things change in life. Well, it, well, it's very different to Roe versus Wade uh, because we uh, decided through a referendum here rather than as a result of a judgment that was made in court, uh, which... Uh, and we decided in a referendum here 30 years after we had previously decided in the yeah. referendum to ban mm. abortion. Yeah. So, of course, cultural change can happen. So now a review I, of I, I, the... I would, I would make this point, Michael, that what people were told would happen if the eighth was repealed, did not happen. They were told abortion would be rare, instead we have double the abortion rate. They were told there would be no late-term abortions. We know that they're happening. We know, in fact, from the doctors that performed them, 
that when they perform these abortions, they feel sick, they feel like they're stabbing the baby in the heart. This is what they told researchers. We know we were told that disability abortions wouldn't be promoted. And we know from the really sad and horrific baby Christopher case that when those parents went into the National Maternity Hospital, they were pushed into having that abortion, even though tests later showed the baby was perfectly healthy. There are terrible outcomes happening from the, from the abortion law, and a spotlight needs to be shone on them, and the government needs so we go, to be so, so we go back to the starting point, um, and I think a lot of what you said uh, could be challenged if we had the time. Uh, but the bottom line is that you want people to go elsewhere, uh, and that's what this rally is about tomorrow. Uh, you no. want people to go elsewhere because... No. Because I abortion don't. is available oh, elsewhere and people will decide to terminate pregnancies and they have very good reasons for doing it. Do you know, I don't want people to go elsewhere. I think Britain should not have legalised abortion either. And one thing that's actually happening there is that the abortion rates there are now so horrific. They've gone from one in every five babies when we were actually discussing this in a referendum in, in Ireland in 2018 to one in every four babies being aborted there now. That the polls are starting to shift there too. People are starting to say my gosh, like there's something wrong wrong with our society, that one in four babies who are conceived are being killed by abortion. We're saying in the rally there's always a better option. When a, a baby is, a, is an unborn human being, he's a person just like you and me. They deserve the right to life, their mothers deserve better support, and that's what the Rally for Life is about. And we're launching a very important campaign, Michael, that's just said this at the Rally for Life, about the three-day waiting period, because I think a lot of people actually might not be aware that if a woman goes for a first abortion appointment, the GP is mandated by law mm. to ask her to think about it for three days because it's a lamentably important. Yeah, most likely, the review that's underway is going to lift that three days. Well, well, here's the thing: like, why would they? One pro- voters were promised that the three-day waiting period would be in place, and Simon Cove now, I remember arguing very because it infant infant. Can I can I finish my point? Yeah. I remember Simon Coveney arguing very persuasively toward, and specifically making this argument towards middle ground voters saying that that three-day waiting period would help to bring down the abortion numbers. Now, as it turns out, we know from figures got by Carol Nolan, it does, about, about between 800 and 1,000 women every year change their minds after they go for that first abortion appointment because of the three-day waiting period. Why in the name of God? And I think many people who voted yes would agree with me on this. Why would anybody want already horrifically high abortion numbers to jump by another thousand years? Uh, Out of of respect for uh, women who are quite often in a crisis and to respect their decision and the choice that they've made, I think that's the answer to the question. No, it's not. It's not. Everybody who, anybody who's worked with women in, in crisis pregnancy, and I have helped many, knows that the biggest thing they need is a chance to think. Everybody well, knows they have a chance to think. We're, we're talking, we're but talking for the most that. part about, we're talking for the most part about grown adults. But sure, of course, they're grown adults can feel in crisis and can feel panic. Mm. But they, they, they know their mind. And I'm a grown adult. They don't know their mind. They, they don't need somebody else telling them right from wrong and what to do and what not that. to do and all of that. But they're not getting well, that. That's, that's what this three-day thing is. Go away and think about it because you might be making the wrong why decision. Why would you not go away and think about it? You're carrying a child. Everybody knows that's a momentous But surely problem. they have thought, they thought about it before they went seeking an abortion. Well, obviously, like Michael, if we look at the numbers, a thousand women changed their minds during those three days. 
So they did think about it and it did help them to make a different decision. And knowing those facts, like why would anybody want to change the system so that you'd increase the abortion rate okay. by a thousand abortions a year? It's okay. really shocking, I think, to, that anybody would argue in favour of that. And that's one of the things that you'll be campaigning to keep after the rally, which uh, will be meeting at half one uh, at Parnell Square tomorrow, isn't it? It will indeed. Okay, uh, everybody's indeed. very welcome. It's a big celebration of life. Lots of families, face painting, balloon, great speakers, music, and we'll be marching down O'Connell Street into Custom House Key. Okay, thank you indeed. Neve Vrin of the Life Institute. Michael Reed on LMFM. There's a very interesting section in the letter from the consultant doctors in Drogheda to the Minister for Health about the plans to close the emergency department in Navan. They write to the Minister about the decision to divert acute stroke patients from Navan to Drogheda. Uh, and they say that it happened without clinical engagement or adequate resourcing and that it was not a positive experience. They also say they only became uh, aware of the plan to divert these patients through the media and shortly before it was implemented. The National Ambulance Service diverts currently acute stroke patients to the closest receiving hospital and the Lourdes receives now the same number of acute stroke patients as does St. James's, the largest hospital in the country. No human or financial resource was transferred to the Lourdes to cope with that significant increase in demand either before or since the transition. The doctors go on to say that a request to provide one whole time equivalent WTE stroke physician at the Lourdes was rejected in February. Three and a half whole time equivalent stroke physicians have been approved for Connolly that until recently didn't provide a 24 hour stroke service. Furthermore, the doctors say repatriation of patients with acute stroke to Navin for ongoing care has been stalled due to the closure of its rehabilitation unit and these patients account for the longest length of stay of stroke patients in the Lourdes. If the same principle of diverting medical patients to the Lourdes without appropriate front-loading of necessary resources continues to be followed, patient care will become unsafe. And that's underlined. We have a corporate memory of how the HSE implemented a transformation programme back in 2010. It merged the medical departments of the Loud County and Our Lady of Lourdes. The demand on services to the region has since soared and they talk uh, about how those numbers have increased. Uh, and they say that there has been uh, 86 beds opened in the Lourdes Hospital. 40 of those, though, were allocated to catch up with current demand, and 46 were allocated to meet the demand associated with ambulances bypassing Navin when they were transferring trauma and surgery patients. As you know, trauma patients have been bypassed since 2009 from Navin. And patients who present... present currently to the hospital in Navan emergency department are felt to require admission for surgical care are now transferred to the Lourdes and the Lourdes they say in bold print is at full capacity Uh, they really really are not happy Um, some comments uh, whatsapp message from somebody who says uh, Dr McEntee uh, seems uh, to want the emergency department closed, uh, but he has it wrong. Uh, that's Frank. Uh, somebody else saying, with the constant call over many years for increased capacity of bed staff and resources, why has there been no pa- plan to build the capacity in response 
i.e. resourcing an additional hospital in Meath. It's a ludicrous situation. Uh, you're at risk if you go to the emergency department in Navan, and you'd be at risk if you went to Lourdes, to, to Lourdes Hospital instead. Uh, on Peter Fitzpatrick's interview, somebody says if he was still with Fitigale, he would be uh, against an emergency budget. Uh, um, <laughs> uh, I suppose that's the nature of politics. Uh, somebody else uh, in touch with us uh, about uh, that interview uh, saying that we need an emergency budget now uh, and that that should happen and that Peter Fitzpatrick is completely right. Uh, a call uh, that came to us uh, about um, neutrality from Mary. She says in the interview with Jim Roach, uh, she says she thinks that there should be a referendum to have neutrality enshrined in the Constitution. Our status as a neutral state needs to be passed into law uh, and that's the only way to do it, uh, to have a referendum and to stop all of this talk and speculation. Uh, Philip in touch saying, they're saying it's unsafe to close Navin A&D, but from what we're hearing from medical experts, it's unsafe for the seriously ill to attend Navin's A&D. Why can't they keep the a a and D open, by, but divert the serious cases to other hospitals. They should also consider opening some of the other A and Es that they have closed. It's very hard for people to be travelling all over the country. Well, I, I suppose uh, the correct term is an emergency department. Uh, they have one in both Navin and in Drogheda at, uh, at the moment. And uh, I suppose the plan is to do what you're saying uh, with the medical assessment unit in Navin and uh, that people would go to uh, Drogheda for emergency services. Uh, we And Carl in touch saying it is appalling and frightening that more patients are now going to be coming to the Lord's Hospital in Drogheda. The government must start caring for their citizens with dignity and respect when the Ukrainian crisis unfolded, our government was able to immediately make available millions of euro. When COVID struck, again, millions of euro was made available. This shows the finance is there to invest in our healthcare. No government minister will be lying in an emergency department for hours on end. They will never know what it's like to wait for months or maybe years for an appointment letter to arrive on their doorstep. They will be comfortable in their private room in a health clinic. They should be hanging their heads in shame for the lack of care and total disrespect that they're dishing out to hard-working Irish citizens. Thank you indeed, Anne Carroll, for getting in touch. That's our programme for today. Hope you have a lovely weekend. God willing, we'll see you for our next programme on Monday morning at 9am right here on LMFM. Good morning, bye-bye. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at LMFM.ie For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.